2017 is here right in your motherfucking face. Welcome to episode number 86 of your favorite PHP podcast of 2016 as voted by people that visit simpleprogrammer.com. Thank you for voting for us. We were the PHP podcast of the year. Isn't that awesome, Ed? We always knew we were great. Now it has been confirmed. Yes, uh, I have confirmed to myself that I am great and am carrying this podcast. I think uh, we could have a discussion over whose coattails are being ridden by whom, but uh, that's that's yeah, fair enough. We'll do that sometime in person yeah. when, when we both All have right. lots of alcohol. All right. Yeah. So, 2017, brand new presumptive, year. Presumptive nominee. Yes. For 2017 podcast of the year. Yes. We're going to put a, there'll be a link in the show notes for you to go and vote. We're going to try to get super quick turnaround on this so you can go and go to the website for this episode and click on the link and vote so we can destroy some of these other podcasts. Ruby people and Python people. Screw it. PHP's where it's at. Ruby people, Python people. You hear, do you hear my bottle? I don't think I, I feel left out because I just have a I just have a glass of water and not a bottle to drink out of today. Oh, uh, you should always have a bottle with you, my friend. There's this. I'm just looking at these list of podcasts. There's a, a C podcast, CPP cast. What the hell, man? That sounds really, uh, sounds really weird. If I had if, if I had my way, I would say vote for us. But CPT, CPP, 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 oh, okay. CPP cast. It says it's hard to say, especially when you've been drinking. Uh, I know that Amy Hoy's uh, podcast, Stacking the Bricks, is in here. You should vote for us first and then for them second because that's some good shit in her podcast as well. Is there a day where you don't retweet her 75 times? Uh, well, if she ever stops tweeting stuff that I agree with, then yeah, I'll stop tweeting. I got to tell you, everything she – it's like – does she only post uh, truth bombs? No, she, uh, I don't. <laughs> I think you only repost the truth bombs. Yes. And after a while, I'm like, okay, I've got enough truth bombs. Well, sh- shockingly, sh- I don't retweet everything she says because there are actually times where she says stuff that um, I don't agree with. But the right. stuff, but the stuff I do agree with, uh, and I think that my uh, fellow developing friends, developing friends, Jesus Christ, my fellow friends should know about are ones I retweet. That's all. Okay. That sounds fine. If you can't handle the truth bomb, so be it. Now, no, I keep trying to mute it, but for some reason, the mute doesn't work on the retweets. It's very irritating. (laughs) It's not that I, it's just, I think I'm Gee, maybe what I need is a Grumpy Links Twitter account like someone else that I know has. Yes. Could you please just only do Grumpy Links? Let me think about that for a minute. No. All right. No. You know, so I did that because somebody asked me to. Yeah, like, and look what, and look what that got you. Do you actually still do anything with it? Yeah, I will star stuff. Uh, stuff that I. What happens is that anything that gets posted to my pinboard account goes in that. Oh, I see. And so, if I put something on pinboard manually, or if I star something in my feed reader, uh, which is feed, I use Feedbin. Um, then it will show up in there because actually what happens is that it immediately gets posted into Pinboard. Um, and so anyway, those things happen. Gotcha. You want to talk about some sponsoring? Yeah, hit us up with a sponsorship message there, Mr. Finkler. Okay. Yep. It's all in the family this time around at Development Hell. We've got three sponsors. One is Wonder Network. 
with us since the beginning, uh, except probably at some point uh, it was they weren't. I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, Wonder Network, a global networking solution provider in many locations, 78 countries, six continents. Who needs Antarctica? It'll melt anyway. <laughs> that <was> Shot shirt. <laughs> That's one of your better ones, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I'll mute. Sorry. We got your Wonder Proxy. You got your Wears It Up. You got your Shot Sherpa. Uh, one time I watched uh, a special about, I think it was these people who were climbing Everest and a bunch of stuff fell on them and they all died. I guess there's just like dead bodies lying up there, but they're frozen. So you just see them. There's, they don't go anywhere because it's apparently if you were like, oh, I better carry this dead body down with me. You're probably going to die because you don't have the energy to do that. So, uh, uh, my suggestion would be to not try to climb tall mountains. Wonder Network, please don't climb tall mountains. Thank you. And now our next sponsor is Grumpy Learning. Let a grumpy programmer teach you how to build a foundation for testing your PHP code, even though he doesn't really code any PHP anymore at work. We got a couple books here. Got your, uh, the Grumpy Programmer, the Grumpy Program. You know it'd be good if you put as much effort into, into advertising my stuff as you do advertising Paul's stuff. That's a good point. Uh, the Grumpy Programmer's Minimum Viable Test Book. Uh, what do you really need to know to get started testing your PHP code? And it's got a cute little cover there with a bunch of small pachyderms. And this looks like there, there's a whole season of The Wire. I think it's season four that really focuses on the educational system in Baltimore and how that impacts uh, socioeconomic status and all these things. These kids who are, uh, you know, it's kind of focuses on kids and, and the school system. And this scene reminds me a lot of the scenes in The Wire in the classroom. So I think... I think one of these little kids is going to stab uh, Grumpy. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the Grumpy Programmer's PHP Unit Cookbook, which I have and is a good book. And teaches you how to do a bunch of stuff where you're like, oh, but how do I do this with PHP Unit? It tells you how to do that. And it's really good. And both of these books are $29. Uh, and there's, oh, hey, there's a really cool thing. On January 20th, there's going to be a really cool online class for up to 12 students. So it's a very, very limited uh, limited number of tickets left, I believe, on that. And it's going to be direct online instruction from uh, Chris Harches, the Grumpy Programmer. And you can go buy tickets at grumpy-learning.com. Now, if Chris was smart, he would have made a bigger link with like a button or something. But he didn't. So to buy tickets, click here, and you go there, and it's like through Tito or something like that. I always felt Tito. Do you think that's named after the Tito Jackson from the Jackson 5? I don't know who they named it after. It could very well be. Anyway. Or or, 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 or it's Tidio is the other way to look at it. 
It's my favorite uh, painter, Tidian. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, there's only a few spots left. Uh, it's There's a max of 12, so you're going to get a lot of, you know, this is going to be not like, hey, I'm one of 600 people who happen to be watching this podcast or, or watching this screencast. No, this is a thing where it's a real online course. There's only 12 people in it. It's going to be awesome. So you should definitely check that out. And that is your Grampy Learning for the day. Grumpy-learning.com. And, gr- and, and grumpylearning.com goes there, too. Does that work now? I want it to see does. if the SSL certificate it does. It gonna does. Grow, gonna learn the grumpy way. You know, you're going to lose Google Juice because it doesn't, like, redirect to just one or the other. Just so you know. Well, I tried to redirect and it complained about stuff, so... Okay, well, welcome to uh, this is a real amateur hour SEO stuff here. I gotta yeah. tell you, well, you don't go to him to talk about marketing yourself. No, no, not SEO anyway. Yeah, right. Uh, and then our third sponsor tonight. It, am I allowed to talk about it since it's my of organization? Of course. Okay. It's open sourcing mental illness, and we decided, hey, nobody's paying for this advertising anyway. Why don't we just talk about shit we do? So, open sourcing mental illness. Changing how we talk about mental health in the tech community. Now, if you're not familiar with it, uh, in that maybe you haven't ever heard me talk for like, I don't know, five or ten minutes. I mention this like every five minutes I'm talking or just a lie. If I'm awake, I mention it all the time. So Open Sourcing Mental Illness, or OSMI, is a nonprofit 501c3 corporation dedicated to raising awareness, educating, and providing resources to support mental wellness in the tech and open source communities. Now, I started this in 2013 as a speaking campaign uh, to talk at tech conferences about mental health issues, and now... We are a full 501c3 certified organization, nonprofit status. Uh, we have a board of five people. We've got about 10 volunteers. We should come to conferences. We come talk to stuff. And so one of the cool things you can do is right now you can buy hoodies and T-shirts uh, for a limited time. And that is at store, S-T-O-R-E, dot osmihelp.org, O-S-M-I help dot O-R-G. And that's O-S-M-I-H-E-L-P dot O-R-G. And the hoodie is super comfy. Matthew Trash just told us. Did, Chris, we got you a hoodie that actually fits, right? It, it, it is one of the most delightful hoodies I have I have in my collection. Fits, right. Fits I'm, really well. I mean, you're embarrassed to wear it in public. No, I but, wear it all the time. Okay. And we've got T-shirts and we've got hoodies. And every all the proceeds from these go to the work that we do which includes creating, uh, doing our research, including our tech surveys and doing analysis on that, uh, creating handbooks to help people to uh, do things like that. Uh, we're working on a pilot program to start a user group that's specifically for people with, uh, who are in tech. Uh, we're going to start a, a user group probably in Atlanta. A lot of cool stuff. So we're doing a bunch of different things, and you can check out everything we do at osmihelp.org. That's osmihelp.org. If you want to buy stuff, go to store.osmihelp.org. I'm telling you, man, that hoodie is super comfortable. I had it on before I came into my office, but my office is too warm for me to wear it. Too warm because this is such a warm, comfortable hoodie. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. We actually have smart people on our on our team who have PhDs. Not me, not me, but other people. 
So I feel pretty good about that. Is that PhD? So, is that a euphemism for something that links with a later topic? FUD? Uh, no. This is – no, they actually have PhDs in, in psychology and organizational psychology. They're two different people have those PhDs. Yeah, I don't think you get my joke. Anyway, keep going, buddy. I didn't get your joke. So those are the sponsors for this uh, this uh, pod, uh, podcast episode. And thank you, Chris, for giving me time to talk about our sponsors. You got it, bro. Yay. Going to have a little drinky here. Oh, very good. PhD. Yeah, okay. All right, so on with the show. Today, mm-hmm. on, on a scintillating episode... The, the the ocho sexo <laughs> is that how it, oh good god ocho okay. sexo well it's people will get the joke later on uh yeah. we have a quartet of uh topics that we're going to get into the first one um is literally when i said to ed um i messaged him i said we're recording tonight for once decide the fucking topic you charlatan and so he uh i, I said how about this one and he said first we're going to talk about talk about him because we always like to talk about him yes, but, yes. and osmi and and you know how he's learning from me on how to best uh, skim personal funds out of uh out of your nonprofit yep as valid expenses but yep. this uh, uh he sent me uh, a link to a tweet uh by Kent Beck of uh, extreme programming and uh, elder of computing fame um, about you, and I gotta say, you know that he's an important guy because he has one of those like woodcut uh, illustrations. Yes, yes, that has as, a, as yeah. it has his avatar. So that means that he's an important person. It's, it's like it's it's like that's one of the two things that as a programmer conveys authority. Either you need a big humongous beard, or you need yep. your Twitter, you need your social media avatar to be uh, a woodcut drawing of yourself. I mean, that's, do you think Kent Beck looks? Yeah, he, you totally do. Do you think that Kent Beck looks like? Uh, Wait, who was that guy who played the master? And uh, why can't I think of the actor's name? Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? Uh, yes, the master from uh, from Doctor Who. Yes. No, not the master from Doctor Who. The who? movie, the master. Uh, and uh, he died of like heroin overdose just like a year ago. Yeah, no idea then. Uh, I, I, gosh, he, he was in uh, Boogie oh, Nights. Oh, uh, Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he does look a little bit. I think, he, like looked, I think he looks a little bit like him. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So Philip Seymour Hoffman tweeted about code. <laughs> and you go on. I just was wanted to really talk about that. He kind of looks like that guy. No, I agree. He kind of looks that way. I mean, of course, I'm sure we could probably these days walk by Kent Beck on the street and not recognize him. But no, no. Well, he's not that woodcut. If he walked around, yeah, he, he looks if like he that walked around as a woodcut. Oh my God, it's Kent Beck! Holy shit! All right, so he talked about the he he felt, and this is a this is a thing that has come up many many times recently online, and again, it's very circular. It's almost like there's a. Uh, permanent feedback loop in place about this, about how the number one skill that developers need is empathy. Yep. It's so, true. It's a hundred percent true. End of talk. Okay. Let's move on to the next. Talk. <laughs> so, but let's, I, I'm going to go into this a little bit. So, um, well, I think that's, uh, well, I think that's a good message. And I think it definitely is true because uh, people who got into programming thinking that, Oh, I won't have to interact with humans. Uh, yeah, you very quickly find out you are sorely mistaken. You will be doing nothing but interacting with people because it is people who are using the things you create. 
and you know um but i, I don't know at at this point sometimes when i hear that like I have to suppress an eye roll because it's kind of like, ugh, this message again. Like, how often do you have to suppress eye rolls per day? I would say at least once, and in fact, I'm I'm quite happy I have free primary health care up here because one of these days oh, yeah. I feel like I'm going to roll my eyes uh, so hard uh, it's going to actually hurt. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I agree, right? Like, basically, the whole message that people are trying to get across is that um, empathy is the key to getting along with people, right? But there's actually a difference between being successful and getting along with people. You, clear, sure. you clearly, in technology, can be successful and be a total asshole to everybody around you. I mean, I think Linus Torvalds is a perfect um, – based on everything I have ever heard about him from other people who have interacted with him over a long period of time is that uh, in the uh, – when it comes to technology and Linux and that stuff, I mean, maybe maybe he's a really nice person outside of programming because there are people like that, right? People, you know, I'll get into this uh, another follow up topic to this in a second. But in terms of like actually dealing with him in the realm of doing stuff with Linux, he's a total asshole. But he's been very successful, mm-hmm. so it helps perpetuate uh, for some people who are looking for an excuse to not have to treat other people nicely. They'll mm-hmm. point at well, look what let's we could probably I mean, we could probably go through a list of famous technology uh, of people who had success in the field of technology who like were literally not nice people. Right. You could look at Linus Torvalds. You could look at Steve Jobs. Uh, you could look at um, Richard Stallman. You could look at a whole bunch of people. I mean, we could probably do if I really cared enough, I could probably create like find a list of 100 people who are really good uh technologists or I don't know what the hell, whatever label you want to give them, had good success in the field of technology, where we're just like garbage human beings uh, in the way that they chose to interact um, Mm -hmm. with people. So part of the, part of the message too, is the the thing is, I, I think the only way that message of that empathy is the essential skill that a programmer needs, there need, people need to be shown, the path and how that actually works. They need to be shown, here's how, here's what being empathetic gets you and here's what being empathetic leads to. Because some mm-hmm. people who are, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure this is not a lie, but I'm sure there are people who are actually on the edge about whether should, you know, how should I be treating the people that I work with? That for some people, this is actually a decision they actually actually have to like think about it. instead of the instead of their default mode. Like I think most people's default mode is being empathetic and wanting to get along with people in technology anyway. Like amongst the programs I work, of course there's privilege at work and a bunch of other stuff. But I think for the most part, people do want to get along with people who are around them. I mean, mm-hmm. you, the number of people who are wired to be like super aggressive to everybody around them in the pursuit of their end. I mean, we label these people as psychopaths and sociopaths. They're a very small person. They are a very small percentage of the population, but there are people like that. I think people to get that empathy message across to people who are beginning their careers as programmers right. or looking to um, go from programming as a job to programming as the career. I really think. There needs to be some way to show people the, the path of empathy results in this sort of thing happening so that people can look at that and say, oh, now I understand. Because it's one thing just to say, oh, you should be empathetic because then you'll get people like, oh, this is political correctness and blah, 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 and technology is a meritocracy and all the other lies that people 
um, tell themselves in order to actually have to deal with their own particular issues, right? I just think mm-hmm. I think it's nice of Kent, of Mr. Beck to say I'm not going to call him Kent because I don't know him, but of Mr. Beck to say, well, you it's know, not your dad. Just call him Kent. Well, it's whatever. Okay. For him to say that's no, a respect thing, dude. For him to say uh, uh, programmers need to learn empathy. That's great, but it has to be programmers need to learn empathy because this is what's going to happen if you choose not to. That yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's 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 like it's all these conversations that spring up about people's behavior. There's mm-hmm. never the, the it's always just the one side of the equation and never be empathetic. Like you say, oh, you should be empathetic. But there are people who legitimately want to go. Why? What? what like because it is extra work for some people to be empathetic, to to not just dismiss people's concerns, to be honest with yourself and look at it and go, you know what? I was wrong how I thought about this topic. I was wrong how I thought about working with women. I was wrong with how I thought about working with other people. I was wrong how I thought about working with a particular programming language or a tool, or how I was wrong about how I thought uh, people are successful as programmers. People need, like, the message has to go beyond just somebody saying you need to be empathetic. There has to be that secondary follow-up thing that says you need to be empathetic because these are the things that happen by being empathetic. And if you do that and show that, yes, look how successful you can actually be as in your job as a programmer and as a person by showing empathy. Because mm-hmm, a lot of people, mm-hmm. as you know, Ed, a lot of people uh, don't even know that they're showing a lack of empathy and how they deal with things. Because for some people, they just, they literally don't know. They just, I, they, they so, literally don't know. Yeah. I, I think, that, so I, I think I, I see where you're going with that. And there's a couple things I think I'd think about. Um, the first thing is, is that there, there's sort of two major points here that I think we'll get into. Um, and the first is that I think you, Partly, you have to define success, and I and I would actually, I guess I would define. I think there's normal things that we, excuse me, think of when we define success, and typically the things that we often commonly think of as success are how much money have you made, uh, how popular are you, and you know things of that nature. Do you, are you somehow influential? Do a lot of people pay attention to what you say? Things like that. And those are things that you would uh, that I think we tend to attribute to. Okay, this is a person who's successful in their field. Um, I think it's fair to question that that most common sort of the things that we most attribute to success, because if those are the criteria, it introduces uh, for success. It introduces a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, you kind of have to be." I mean, kind of what you're getting at is, well, there's some people who seem to be successful but are still dickheads uh, by some definition um, of dickhead. I would say that they are actually not successful. (laughs) And the reason I would say that is because I think I define success in a different way than some people do. And that I would define success as what amount of positive influence have you had in the people's lives around you who have come in contact with you? And I tend to say that that is how I sort of measure success that have I done what I think I need to do in life. Right. And so that gets to be a little different because I think there are people who are, who've been very successful in 
uh, by in terms of metrics like how much money they've made, but aren't particularly would would not be successful based on my criteria of success. So that's one thing is I think you just kind of you want to. I, I want to throw that out there as I think there's def- different definitions. So how do we define success? Well, it's the, at least you have to think about that a little bit. Um, the second thing is that I think it's actually not always people. I, I, I actually think being truly empathetic to everyone is actually extremely hard. There are, I think by default, we are empathetic to people who have similar backgrounds to us and experiences and who come to the similar conclusions as we do. Those are people where it's easy to be empathetic because they essentially are probably kind of like us and they have similar backgrounds and, uh, have had similar experiences and I, and you can simply draw on your own personal experience to have empathy for them. I think think that's fair. I think that's a fair, fair thing to say. And and I think that is the natural, my experience, just, I am, I'm not a uh, social scientist and I am not an anthropologist. However, I tend to believe that that is the natural state of people is that if you leave them to their own devices and they do put no effort into say, trying to combat that. That they will be, they will understand people like them with the similar experiences, but at the same token, they will be extremely non-empathetic towards people who have had different experiences. That they will express that they can't understand why they would do that and why don't they just do the things that I did and everything will be okay. And the fact that they came to different conclusions indicates something's wrong with them. And if they didn't have the same results that you did, particularly if you've been, again, based on some of those metrics, successful in your life, I think it's natural for people to say, well, if you didn't do what I did, uh, you, if you did what I did, you'd be successful. And the fact that you're not successful indicates that you just didn't do what I did. I think that's kind of people's natural state. And unfortunately, I also think that that's just wildly wrong. I think that's a cognitive bias that we have um, or a wide range of cognitive biases, really, I, I, I would say. And and so our, our, our we assume that our experiences are universal and universally applicable. And they're just not. They just aren't. Our experiences are really just our experiences, and they are going to. And we tend to be friends with people who are similar to us and have similar values and things like that. So we start tending to think that, well, uh, look, all these other people, all the people I know are like this. All the people I know don't get hassled by the police. All the people I know, uh, you know, uh, all think that PHP is the best. All the people that I know use Vim. All the people, I, you know, what I mean. I mean, we tend to, we tend to, and people who are different. They came to. They're wrong because all the people I know own a Nintendo Entertainment System. If you own a Sega Master System, you're a dickhead. So I mean, that was you know like middle school. But I think I think that's the. And when I talk about tribalism, I think that's sort of a natural state for people. And I think tribalism, the way I define it, as opposed to communities, is that tribals tribes. I uh, define a, a often a fairly rigid set of. Uh, cultural norms. And if you don't meet those norms, um, you are not welcome. And if you, and you are, they are often actively hostile to those who do not 
meet the you know aren't consistent with those cultural norms. Whereas I think communities, at least the way when I talk about communities and I talk about this the open sources, when I talk about communities, I think of communities as things that welcome outsiders, welcome diversity, welcome those kinds of things. So I think that it's actually kind of hard. I think people often throw around this idea of empathy and I think don't think about um, how it can be challenging for people, but also that you can be empathetic and it doesn't necessarily mean there's two things. One, you don't have to like somebody to be, to empathize with them. You don't have to agree with them to empathize with them. You just have to try and, and, and you have to try to understand what it's like to be them. And the reason why you do that is you try to understand that is that you can understand why they do the things that they do. This is particularly helpful if you don't want them to do those things anymore because if you don't understand why they are, these things are happening, it's kind of hard to stop it from happening. Um, so if you want to understand why somebody's murdering people, it's probably important to empathize with them as, as, you know, screwy and difficult as that is, you sort of have to, if you want to make sure that that doesn't keep happening across the board, particularly if it's not just an individual case, but you want this to ha- not happen again, right? Why do mass shootings happen in the United States? Well, you have to figure out why those things are happening. And you can't just say, oh, people are evil or, you know, you have to figure out why does it happen and then take steps about that. And that's a whole complex thing I know, but that's an example. Like why do people you know, get sexually assaulted? Well, you have to actually understand the psychology behind it and figure out, and you know, it's complex. It's hard. They're hard problems to solve. And empathizing with people you don't like is often not a challenge, but it's something that you kind of have to do, I think. I'm off on a tangent, but the point here is that um, I think that when Kent Beck talks about uh, empathy, in this case, I think what he is talking about is thinking about how the program you write is going to be interacted with and perceived by other people who interact with your code. I think that, and I and that is based on follow ups. Where if you go, we'll we'll put the tweet in the uh, in the uh, in the notes. And if you look at the follow ups, there, kind of somebody is like, "Well, I disagree with that." And he says, "Well, I think that if you think about, you know, you have to be empathetic towards other people who interact with your code, and interact in the sense of like that you would read their code, alter your code, you know, th- things of that nature." And I think in that case, that's that's kind of what he's talking about here. Uh, and I think that is important because you have to, you know, so this is a small case we can examine, but I think it's a pretty common one where we write out something and we're like, well, this makes sense to me, write this out. Of course I would do it this way because I'm me. And then whenever we read someone else's code, it, it is so common that it's like, why the hell did you do this way? I don't understand this. I'm going to tear this apart. And, and, and there's there's frequently this lack of sort of like empathy for on both sides of like the person who is going to be reading your code and the person who wrote the code before that you're reading now. Um, I think both of those people uh, have trouble empathizing with one another. And I think that in order to help facilitate collaboration and teamwork, it is important that you keep in mind and understand how people are going to view your work and and what it's going to be like to be them when they're looking at it and maybe haven't seen it before. Uh, 
So I think in that case, that's uh, that's the kind of empathy he's talking about. Um, one, I take this to another level, though. I think it's I think he's talking about it as a programmer or the, or the craft of programming. He says uh, the craft of programming. Let me make sure that I get the, the, the oh, shit. Now I've clicked away to something else in here. Um, I think that there's a larger thing that goes into that because I think what Kent is talking about here, not Mr. Beck, Kent is talking about here is that he says the craft, and he puts out an asterisk to indicate uh, some emphasis, the craft of programming begins with empathy, not formatting or languages or tools or algorithms or data structures. I think that that is, I believe that is correct. I also believe, I don't know if I, does it begin with that? I'm not sure because I don't know. Does it? Yeah, maybe it does. Um, and maybe the craft of programming starts after you've learned how to program because the craft of programming is sort of a different thing than just learning how to do it. But what I would say is that the craft of programming is only one thing that a developer does. And I would say as a software developer, and that software might be on the web, and that software might be on this or that or what have you. Um, as a software developer, there's a bunch of stuff that goes into it. And a lot of it, I think, has nothing to do with programming. A lot of it has to do with how do you interact with people? You know, how do you, uh, what, thinking about your end users, the people who actually use that code. Um, and that those things can influence uh, your influence your programming, but oftentimes are very separate from your programming. Like, how do you interact with teammates? How do you interact with the uh, leadership? How do you interact with you know? So, so all sorts of things that go into this stuff that I guess it would might that talk I do called "How to Be a Great Developer." I kind of get into where I think it's all this stuff that isn't programming, but all this other stuff that you have to do. And maybe that's what we're getting into when we talk about it's it, that the stuff that you have to do to kind of be successful. A lot of that stuff, I think. I think it's rooted in empathy, but then I don't think it, I don't, I think it's kind of doing a disservice. People just say, well, just be empathetic. Well, one that can mean a lot of different things to different people. And a lot of times I think people want to need to see this is how, what that looks like, not just because left to their own devices. I guarantee you a bunch of different people are going to come up with a bunch of different expressions of what that is like the, well, it looks like this. Well, I believe me, I've had plenty of people who are like, it's impossible for me to empathize with this person because I disagree with them, you know, but that's, they don't have to agree with you. That's not the point of empathy. That's not what empathy is. Um, empathy is not the same as sympathy. Empathy is not the same as agreeing with someone. Empathy is not thinking that they're right. Um, empathy, however, I do think uh, helps you when practiced correctly, helps you get what you want. Because, especially as it informs the way that you communicate with people. And I put in the notes uh, a book called Nonviolent Communication that I think really gets at the heart of that, which I think talks about how we communicate with each other in a way that is most likely to get us the outcome that we want. And that is not – we're not trying to manipulate people necessarily. Well, maybe we are. Maybe it's a, a positive manipulation in that you're speaking to them so that they are un, they feel understood and appreciated and empathized with. 
And then you are more likely to get the outcome you want because people are going to be more understanding of you and present with you the same kind of respect and empathy that you are giving them. I've been on a bit of a ramble here, and maybe it's the beer talking, but that's kind of what I think, Chris. Some good points. We can. This is one of these topics where actually we can like. I don't think we have to one hundred percent agree, but there's mm-hmm. there's definitely a thing where we can get some uh, common ground. Like I just I, I always felt like these days I don't like trite messages, trite, trite messaging practices where you're just like, well, just be empathetic because it's too. It, it's I feel like it's too wide open, and what people really need is guidance. They need they yeah. don't they don't need they don't need. Uh, step-by-step rules, like I'm not suggesting the Grumpy Programmer's Guide to Empathy because it would be like one page long, but... Um, it's do like, like me. They, yeah, just do what I do and you'll be successful. <laughs> I don't understand what the hell right. your problem is. Um, right. But just that guidance, guiding people, actually showing people well, the, like showing people like, hey, here's an opportunity for you to actually be empathetic um, yeah. instead of just retreating to old uh, modes of like interacting with people. Well, yeah, it's it's mentorship. It's it's learning because, like I said, it's getting at well, what does that look like, and what is that? How do you apply that in the most effective ways? And yep. that is going to vary dramatically. You know, I'm going to get that wrong a ton. I can try my best to be empathetic, but it doesn't mean that my communication skills are great. You know, it doesn't mean that I express that well, and it doesn't mean that sometimes my empathy is crippling. Sometimes it I apply it in a completely unhelpful way that it either hurts me or hurts other people. So I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that one, man. I think that you do I think it's easy to kind of trot that out. I think that I think it's also but it's a it's a very complex, thick word that means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And you need to say, well when I say empathy in this situation Here's what I have in mind. This is what it looks like to me. And this is what I'm talking about. And I bring up that book because I think it's one of the really good examples of they talk about, well, empathy and communication. Well, they get very into this is what that looks like and give you detailed, you know, examples of interactions, detailed discussions of why you do X, Y, Z in these situations. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's a really good book. And I think, uh, I think that's an example of something worth, worth looking at. And I think kind of what you're talking about is like, okay, well, what does that look like in action? You know, isn't there sort some sort of inaction book? You need a, there's like PHP in action. Yeah. Or uh, learn empathy in twenty four hours. Um, <laughs> learn empathy in twenty four. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that would be funny. <laughs> learn empathy in twenty four hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's a thing. That's a thing. Uh, so I, I feel like programming is just one thing that a developer does, but I think there's a lot of other things they do too. And so I thought that I don't know. I think that tweet was interesting, but. I also feel like, yeah, the craft of programming is important, but mm, I think there's more to it. And I think there's more to, you know, being what I would say is is, is having success and, and, and being able to really help people in uh, in the work that you do uh, is 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 beyond just being a really good programmer. But it can but it varies on the job, too. So, I mean, I can th- see think of some things where. All that really matters is, are you good at programming or not? I don't know. Very true. All right, well, enough about that depressing topic on how to be a better human. All right, what's next? 
It says there's a number of things that start with Ed, Ed oh, yeah. apostrophe S, so the right. possessive. Ed's X, Ed's Y. Uh, in this case, uh, why don't we talk about my album? Sounds good. I put out an album, kids. It's called it's by the 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 project. Let's say the artist name is Dead Agent, as in a dead like spy, uh, and a Dead Agent, or that Scientology thing. That if you know about Scientology a lot, you will know what that is. I don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to mention it. Um. Anyway, I've been doing uh, instrumental stuff as Dead Agent for a while now, like electronic crapola. And I just put out a new album on January 2nd. Yeah? No, the fir- actually I released it on the 1st, and but it's out on most services now. It's called Fight Like a Robot, and it is out on stuff like iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and Amazon and a bunch of Apple Music, and, and it's on YouTube someplace. It's really hard to find that, that crap on YouTube, though. You have to look like you have to look for exactly the right thing to find it. You no, know, what I want to know is where'd you get that artwork from, and did you license it correctly? Uh, I took that picture. You mean the artwork for the album cover? Yes. That is a picture of a Vectrex, uh, a picture I took of a Vectrex running a a home version of the game berserk uh and if you you may or may not know the fight like a robot is a term that is uh yelled by some of the robots in the game berserk uh and um shows up in one of the songs on the album and so i took that picture of that uh machine running berserk um Will somebody sue me maybe because it features a screen from that game? Man, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Pretty sure. uh, Let's see. That game probably came out in 1983. I mean, the the version for the Vectrex machine. Um, I am guessing no one gives a shit now. Uh, I but I did take the picture. But the only thing I guess you could say is that, yeah, but it's of this this work. That is uh, um, made by a different different company, and I don't I don't give a rat's ass. So that's what that is. It's a a picture of that. Uh, I have a Vectrex at home. It's a a vector display uh, video game console, and it was the only one that was ever made in history of the universe. Uh, not the only. It's not like a single console was made, but it was the only one released on the market. I mean. Um, and, uh, man, my cat is sitting and like messing up my charging of my phone. It's really annoying. Cat, stop doing that. It's fat ass sitting here. Um, so that's where that artwork comes from. And, uh, I really, really like old video games and like old movie soundtracks from the seventies and eighties and, uh, things of that nature. And I kind of dove back into that a little bit. So I think there's a lot of that kind of sound that influenced the stuff that I did there. Um, so if you're into that kind of crap, you might like this. If you like, like electronic stuff, if you like chip tunes, if you like, uh, synthy sounding eighties ish kind of sounding stuff, you might dig what I did there. Um, and, 
again, it's uh, you can buy it if you want. And if you buy it, all the money goes to OSMI, Open Sourcing Mental Illness. I'm donating all of that money to my nonprofit. Um, so I guess I'm giving it to myself, kind of, but not really. Um, and I don't know. I feel pretty good about it. You you bought the album, didn't you? I did, and I listened to it. Once. So far, yes. One song yeah, okay. so far. No. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hit the wrong button, and... I couldn't find my phone to turn off. No, it's. Uh, well, I, I, I have listened. To, I have listened to. I, Ed has done other stuff as well. This is not his first bit of music. In fact, I joked with him. Uh, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but he's talking about how he is looking at some other material he had done. Oh yeah. Right. And then he heard the vocals, and then he like deleted everything. I was. Gonna, yeah. I was like, no, no, dude, let me re-record the vocals for you. I'll do it. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. I'll just do like Cookie Monster, uh, you know, Cookie Monster metal voice over top. The pain and anguish of suffering. That would be awesome. Yeah, but but you deleted everything, so it doesn't matter. Well, the the, the music still exists. I'm just not going to re-release that because I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Um, if you can still go, you can probably still find one of those CDs. They were like 500 printed. So yeah. So that happened anyway. So I put that album out. So if you like that stuff, this is basically an ad for me. Basically, this whole podcast. Yeah, well, that's how it goes sometimes, man. Yep. All right. Uh, if you like bleeps and bloops and shit like that, you might be into this. So go, uh, if you go to deadagent.net, D-E-A-D-A-G-E-N-T.net, you can look at, you can get links for where to buy or listen to the new album and all the other stuff, uh, that I've done in the past, which is, I think not as good, but still pretty good. And maybe you'd dig that too. And give them all the monies. All right, Chris, let's talk about something you know about, which is a computer you spent a bunch of money on that uh, really isn't that cool. Oh, yeah. All right. And then, so, yeah, please so, go ahead. Yeah, so to set this all up, so as people who uh, my bazillion followers online know, uh, I have a very old, uh, by computing standards anyway, uh, laptop. It is pretty old. I got to say, I was surprised you were still rocking. Yeah, well, me like too. That. I was kind of surprised when I started thinking about it. Uh, so I had a mid-2012 uh, MacBook Air, which people uh, taught me and say that my iPhone 6S Plus has a faster processor, in it, which actually might be true. Who knows? So it was old, and it, uh, it became clear to me through the work that I do these days that it was no longer uh, the optimal machine for doing the work that I wanted to do. It was clear that for most developers doing stuff today, you need uh, more memory and faster processor than what I had. I had a eight gig, eight gigs of RAM, and I don't know, like a, probably like a two point gigahertz processor. I don't even know what the fuck it was in. It was slow at this yeah. point. So I started doing some research, and and you know, back in October, uh, Apple released its you know did an update and released some new laptops and uh you want to talk about a lack of empathy a tsunami of of lack of empathy <laughs> going across the um, the internets in the wake of this where it was very interesting because now empathy doesn't mean you have to like something yeah well um, vitriol like a huge a 50 foot uh, 100 foot wave of vitriol That's whipping true. across the internet um 
because a lot of people who are similar to myself and Ed, um, in terms of like how we were longtime Mac users, and for many people, it was like uh, programmers for the longest time drove kind of more mainstream acceptance of Apple products. Developers mm-hmm. latched onto them because uh, a lot of people who who built things on the internet for a living were like, "Cool, this Mac laptop." When we look at it compared to the uh, PC offerings at the time, it's like, wow, I have like a Linux slash BSD like system under the hood and a pretty solid graphical interface. It's like, you know, a lot of people compared to like it was like Linux, but with a actual working uh, window manager. I mean, so lots of people, yeah. you know, Wi-Fi worked, Wi-Fi worked right out of the box, sleep, yeah. all that, all the stuff that people would, you know. Uh, fiddle with forever to get to work if they were trying yeah. to do this on Linux. It just worked. And, and you know, Apple wholly embraced that market by, yeah, cool, we want to get developers using, using this because they become very strong um, advocates for the products. And then it comes along, then everyone, a lot of developers, then they get Apple iPhones, uh, and they start buying other Apple products. And before you know it, you have a nice house full of uh, Apple stuff and you're uh, not a hard lock, but, you know, uh, a soft and semi-firm lock uh, right. in Apple's ecosystem between Apple TVs and, and other devices, right? Semi-firm. And so uh, I, I have been using Mac laptops since uh, for the past like um, almost 13 years, 12, 12 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I bought my first one when we sold our um, house and moved to where we are now. We had a little bit extra money. So I told my wife I want to take some of this money and buy myself a laptop. Yeah. Uh, so when I saw the new offerings, I was like, "Wow, it, it feels like Apple just doesn't care about people like me anymore." Because when you look at the specifications, they don't have empathy for you. Well, they don't have. They don't. I'm not saying they're required to, but um, to be fair, they don't. They don't. They don't care. Um, because it, it's this weird combination of the difference. The difference between my old MacBook. And the new MacBook Pro that I'm using right now, mm-hmm. it seems more like incremental rather than an actual leap forward. You know, I looked at it and I thought about how much that my original MacBook Air cost me, and how yeah. much and how much this one that I bought cost me. I'm like, there's it seems there's been a bunch of weird trends that have happened since I last bought a laptop. So right. the big one I've noticed is that, and this you could argue. Uh, is an interesting parallel to kind of um, economic trends under neoliberal capitalistic countries where the middle gets hollowed out and you are left with your options being something really inexpensive Mm -hmm. or options available to you being something either really inexpensive or -hmm. something really expensive. But my options, as far as I could tell, were to be buy a cheap, plasticky, low-end netbook or really cheaply put-together laptop mm-hmm. for 500 bucks. Right. Or I was going to be spending or spend at least $3,000 on something that had, you know, maybe I've become a snob about this stuff over the years, nice aesthetics to it. Reliable hardware, um, you know, either pay five hundred or pay three thousand. Um, right. 
to do the type of work that I do, there was no in between. It's like, yeah, yeah. Either, it's like either you buy some piece of junk and you then uh, you then change how you were doing your job um, to accommodate uh, a lesser solution than what you had before, or you let um, comfort win over your annoyance that. Uh, a company, and this is so stupid, right? You're like identi- you're like identifying with a company as if the company, this huge conglomerate that makes billions and billions of dollars, pulls in billions and billions of dollars in revenue, mm-hmm. and has billions of uh, dollars in profit um, stashed outside their normal tax jurisdictions, and they're just waiting to bring it all back so they can continue this nice cycle of making ridiculous amounts of money. Like you thought, wow, they actually care. No, no, they, no. In the end, they didn't care. And so mm-hmm. you you feel you you feel this weird betrayal by someone that actually like didn't even know you exist and doesn't even care what you think. Mm-hmm. It was very weird. It's like uh, I've spoken to Ed um, not on the podcast about this before, but how like social media and contact with people. If you're not careful, sometimes you develop relationships where. It, both parties to the relationship are not seeing it the same way. And like yeah. you have to be careful. Sometimes you think you're friends with people and you barely register uh, in their mind as like a social connection. I mean I, I I see this occasionally. It's gotten much, much better because I put my foot down a few times with people and had to say right. things to them like just because you follow me on Twitter and I said something to you, there is no implied friendship. There is no implied deep thing. Like what you said to me is like, dude, like you don't even know me. Don't like, don't say things like that to me. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to create a relationship that just simply doesn't exist. Now, Apple is not going to turn around and talk that way to me because they're happy to take my money. Right. Yes. The relationship with, with Apple is uh, how much money are you willing to give me? So, so I started investigating some of my options. I was like, okay, well, do I really want – now that it looks like Apple doesn't care to build – and we're going to be specific here – laptops for programmers like me who have mm-hmm. similar needs and wants. Apple has clearly made a shift to where iPhones and iPads and essentially things that aren't as smart as a laptop – is a market they wish to continue to develop, right? Because yep. they're right. seeing they're seeing great demand. They're seeing uh, they're seeing great profit margins and all that stuff. So for people like me, the idea is like, why can't I get a MacBook Pro with 32 gigs of RAM in it? Right. 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 Now they made yeah. things like, oh well, you know, it's for travel purposes. We can only, you know, the we need we wanted the bigger battery because the battery wouldn't have all the stuff. And like I listen to that and I'm like. That is corporate bullshit at its finest. It's like you could have made mm-hmm. – uh, you could have done an edition of yep. the MacBook Pros that appealed to people like me where I'm like, I want a MacBook Pro. I'm happy with the size. I'm happy with the processor. Give me three or two gigs of RAM. And they're like, yeah, you're not the people we're selling to anymore. So I felt mm-hmm. like – I felt a betrayal that shouldn't have been a betrayal. It was so stupid to feel that way. Yeah. Like you're, you're being betrayed by an abstract – Concept. It's like the ultimate old man yelling at clouds type of idea. Scream mm-hmm. at Apple. Apple doesn't care. Apple's like, for every person like you, there's uh, a million people that bought a phone from us. So whatever, bro. So I looked yeah. at my options. Like, okay, so what could I do? It's like, okay, my options are if I don't want to get a Mac as my next laptop. So what are my options? So like people are like, oh, you should go to Linux. I'm like, man, I did that a long time ago. 
right? Yeah, so, and I'm like, for the type of things that I want to do at this point in time, which is things like this podcasting and screencasting, <laughs> right. the tools that are available to Linux users are not even comparable. They're way harder to use, way flakier, less reliable. I also am not a big fan of retraining myself to do something I already know how to do. Not a big fan of that sort of thing at this point in my uh, programming career. I'm happy yeah, well, to, I'm happy wait, to learn. What's the upside? Yeah, I'm happy to learn upside. and don't, and, and to, to get this point across, I'm happy to learn new things. I learn new things all the time. I am Correct. not, I am not happy when I am forced to you to, to learn how to do something again with a completely different set of tools. Not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that was an issue. I'm like, all right, so no, it won't be Linux because the, 2027 will be the year of Linux on the desktop, and hopefully I'll be retired and not working anymore by then. So right. forget that noise. Uh, so the other option was Windows. It's like, okay. And right around the time that the MacBook, you know, the new Mac laptop announcement was made, uh, Microsoft, who had clearly been building up to it, was like, hey, check out these cool new pieces of hardware that we're yeah. doing. And they were clearly aimed at people like me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, hey, we have this thing that we're calling the Surface Book. And I looked at the laptop. I'm like, that is pretty much a Mac laptop, but it runs Windows. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I looked at it and said, oh, and they had this cool Surface. I don't even I can't remember what they called it, but it was a big humongous screen that was touch screen. And and they had this disc on it and they were showing people doing this crazy Photoshop stuff on it yeah. and touching screens and dragging stuff around. I'm like, that is a, a marked difference in the messages that Microsoft used to give. Microsoft, yep. Microsoft is almost like Microsoft, quite correctly, sense an opportunity. It's like maybe we have a chance to grab a whole bunch of people who maybe 10 years ago stopped using Windows yep. because of what Windows was compared to Mac. And now we have a chance to grab them back. So I evaluated a Surface. I, I use my connections. I use my friend Tommy. Um uh, Tommy. I called Tommy, and then I got – well, not through Tommy. It was through Mickey, Mickey McDonald, who uh, does mm-hmm. gaming stuff with uh, with Microsoft. He hooked me up with a loaner of a yeah. service phone. So I used it for a couple of weeks. And what happened was the same thing I just talked about. It's like, yeah, I could do everything that I needed to do. Uh, the Windows – sub, uh, the Linux subsystem, the system on top of Windows, very yeah. comfortable experience for – uh, long t- uh, for Mac people who've done stuff on the command line. And mm-hmm. just looking at all this stuff, it's like, yeah, but then I started, started blogging my experience with them. I'm like, yeah, but now I have to find this tool and relearn how to do this. And I have to find this tool and relearn how to do this. And in the end, comfort won out. I was yeah. like, I was like, a new Mac, a new Apple laptop tricked out pretty much the same as the Surface Book I was trying out. Mm-hmm. They're about the same price. So what is it that I'm really – like am I am I being difficult for the sake of being difficult? Am I rebelling because – I don't know, because I want to rebel against something, push back against something even though it's like a little teeny tiny minor thing. So I said, well, do I want to relearn a bunch of things? And of course, the answer was no. So I bought a 13-inch MacBook Pro, 16 gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. Um, the 512 uh, um, SSD drive in it. Yep. So basically a little more souped up version than what I have. So early returns on this thing. So I will say um, things have been good. There's a couple, uh, I'll go a couple things. Number one, the migration assistant mm-hmm. pushed everything over perfectly. No yeah. issues. 
Yeah, they do a great job with that. They I've do a really well. good job. I was really because I'd heard some people. Oh no, you always want to start cleaning on a machine. I'm like, dude, I do not want to spend two weeks trying to get this fucking laptop configured the way that I need it because I will. I don't have some kind of automated thing in place that will pull all the tools down that I need and install them. I'm like, no, I'm gonna put my hands in a migration in a company that. Under that, I figured since they're no longer aiming at power users, all these tools to migrate people over have to be bulletproof because right. because people who are not like me would probably have a really hard time trying to figure out why what went wrong. Like they won't right. be able to dig in and do the forensics and say, "Oh crap, why did my my oh crap my SSH keys didn't get copied over yeah, or, right. or or other things that would be like to like a non program like a non programmer using one of these things, they wouldn't even worry about it. For me, it'd be like, fuck, no, I got to go and do it. Even though it would only take me like, you know, 60 seconds to get a USB key and copy them onto the key and then copy them onto the new laptop, it would be like, it would irritate me all fucking day that I had to do it. So yeah. data that worked perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. So minor annoyance. Okay, as everyone knows, the new laptops are um, USB-C and Thunderbolt only. So I did have to drop some money. On a few adapters, the th- okay. uh, the things that I bought were I got a and we'll add some notes to it. I'll I'll add to it later. Just put it just put a placeholder in there in the notes ed, and I'll remember when I do the notes up. Sure. So I bought a little Sateki uh, USB C adapter. So basically, it does pass through for power. So uh, to power other devices, so I plug it in, and then it has a little HDMI. Uh, po- uh, port on it, so that's plugged into my old uh, piece of crap monitor. It has uh, it has a USB port that I uh, a USB um, A port that I believe is powered, and another USB A port on it. And then has a has another on the uh, right next to it a USB C port. So if I need to plug something else in, so that has right. worked really well because then because USB really lets you chain things. So I have so my laptop uh, plugged into it. I'm plugged into an external monitor. Then the USB one of the USB ports is chained to a really nice powered USB hub that I bought not too long ago that has power in it as well. So I can plug uh, USB A devices into it that need to be charged. So yeah. it works perfectly. And then I, I bought an Apple adapter uh, for USB uh, A to USB C because for work, uh, everything at Mozilla does uh, two factor off now. And I was hooked into using um, uh, a YubiKey for most of it. Mm-hmm. There are a few things that I'm using my phone for, but for the most part, it was all uh, YubiKey. And I had a brief moment where I lost that stupid YubiKey over the Christmas holidays. I was like, fuck, I'm going oh, to talk to talk to the systems folks and say, fuck, I lost this thing and we'll have to reset everything so I can use use that. So the minor annoyance has been, I have noticed that on occasion, if the laptop um, goes to sleep, sometimes when I wake it back up, Mm-hmm. The display is flashing is blue and then briefly flashes over to see the screen underneath and then back to blue. So like alternates like two ticks blue, fraction of a second I can see on the screen, two ticks blue. Just keep keep doing that. Now right. I spoke to Apple, spoke to our online support people. They said, try doing this, try doing this one thing here, try doing this other thing here. And uh if it doesn't work. Uh, if it doesn't work, get back to us. So problem still hasn't gone away. So, in, but in this case, literally what happens is that when the laptop, when, when it behaves like that, I unplug the Sateki adapter, mm-hmm. count to three, plug it back in, problem goes away. So, oh, weird. so it's one of these things where I'm not sure what the problem is. Is it the Sateki adapter? 
is it my monitor? Because this is actually a quite old monitor. This must mm. be this must be eight or nine years old at this point, I believe. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I'm not quite sure. I got it when I worked with Ben Ramsey at um, at Moon Toast. So however long ago that is, I would have to go look that up. It's like um, 35 years ago, dude. But it's like it's like six or seven years old at least. Which is again, people need to understand one year online is 10 years if you want to go like real world in terms of like how fast things change how fast technology uh improves once like once some device is deemed standard then boom everything starts accelerating really fast so i have an order in for a brand new um uh a nice uh, 27 inch dell um 4k monitor that work agreed to get for me so i'm waiting to hear when it's going to get shipped here so hopefully we'll find out does that eliminate the monitor as being the problem mm-hmm. is it the Sateki is it the Sateki adapter so this is does this mean i need to get an apple specific one like mm-hmm. the, the, there's there's lots of variables and it's really hard to know um which one is i do know when i have used the laptop um without it being connected to external stuff works perfectly mm-hmm. absolutely no issues no issues with the touch bar none of that stuff everything has been perfect so that part is good so that's just like I would say that's just like it's literally a minor annoyance because I'm like oh blue screen unplug one two three plug it back in all right now I can get back to work um so so that part has been okay so how do you feel about um how do you feel about this touch bar thing well the thing is I use my laptop closed like 99.9 percent of the time I work oh, right. I work with it closed I use a Bluetooth um apple keyboard um i used to use a track i used to have one of those magic trackpads um mm-hmm. it broke after years of me slamming my hand on it when i was mad about stuff so yep. so i use a wired mouse now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that's the combination so bluetooth keyboard mouse so for me the touch bar absolutely 100 not an issue now what i did end up doing was because uh, muscle memory being a thing that really matters when you learn when, when you select a text editor, you learn all the key shortcuts to do stuff. So yeah, for so for Vim users, escape is the thing that you always need. So mm-hmm. on the on the new MacBook Pros that have that touch bar on it, yep. um, there's an escape key. It works perfectly, but it's a soft one. So when you touch it, you don't get any feedback. There's uh, no, right. there's no tactile. Like when you touch the, when you press the touch bar, you don't get anything back. I think my recommendation, if Apple actually cared about my opinion, was that the next generation of things that they do with that touch bar, it needs to be forced feedback. When you touch a key on there, you need to feel it so that you know you've touched the key. That would be my recommendation right. because mm-hmm. because for other things, and I'll get into that when we talk about part two about what I did with my setup when I got this thing, is that. Um, the touch bar is actually very, very useful because it because it takes over uh, for other things when you're using it for prompts for stuff, which is very interesting. I'm gonna get into that. So, so that part has been like for me, the touch bar is like I don't really use it. So it's there because I thought it would be good to get the laptop that had it, so that mm-hmm. if I ever do want to fool around with it, because I've seen people trying to do some interesting things. With the touch yeah. bar, if if ever one of those sort of things catches my eye and I want to fool around with it to try to see what could I do with this thing, could I do something with it to to help me with stuff? Maybe I could do something like uh, 
you know, try to write something where I have a program and I can control it via the touch bar, like maybe something to do with my testing stuff. On the, uh, if you're running, you know, run the tool on my on my laptop, and when I'm ready to run a load test, I can just click a green button on the touch on the touch bar, and boom, it fires off my load test for me, right? Just load. stuff, just stuff like that. Fool around with it to see if there's some way to extend it and and use it, so that's not just a novelty. Like I don't care one way or the other. I find it interesting to use, but I really think it, it needs like on the phone, on your on the newer iPhones, that force feedback where you feel like a little buzz. When you when you press it, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you get force feedback from things. It, I think yeah, it, right. I, mm-hmm. I think it needs that. If they're if if Apple is never going to go with touch screens on their laptops, at least they could do the fucking touch bar as force feedback. When you touch it, you know that you've touched it. So yeah, so I that, would like that yeah, some so, some sort of thing that yeah. clicks or something. Yeah, you know, you, so you that know you it. know that you've touched it, right? So because all I really did to fix the one problem with that was I just remapped my caps lock key to be escape. So when I use Vim, I'm busy retraining my pinky when I'm typing. Instead of jumping up into the upper left corner of the keyboard to hit escape, it just has to go a little bit to the left and hit See, uh, hit caps lock. I I already remapped that to control. Right. So, uh, which is like the old Sun keyboards. So, yep. uh, I don't have another key to. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Yeah, a lot of people do that too. They've mapped it to Control. So you know, it's cool. Like I don't worry. Like like I said, I, I think I like the Touch Bar. I think it's neat. I just think the next step should be some sort of force feedback. So that's like part one of the discussion. So to let so the too long didn't read is I I don't regret buying one of these things yet. I've had it like three weeks. So right. far, so good. Migration assistant copied everything over. I was up and running for work. Uh, I got it. Uh, you know, I was on vacation, and then when I got back to work, I hit the ground running, no problems. So the next step is I decided with this laptop uh, to get a tiny bit more serious about um, security on the laptop because someone oh. someone pointed. Uh, so I was just talking about some security stuff and. Uh, Somebody sent me a link to a very long document that a infosec person who uses a Mac laptop all the time says, you know, there's you have to decide like what are you trying to protect your laptop against? What level? Like, you know, just random script kitties, you know, are you actually concerned about like, you know, uh, state actors, like, you know, other countries trying to hack your your uh, computing devices because of what you do or your because of what you do for a job or where you happen to work or uh, mm-hmm. you know um, if you have uh, if you have strongly expressed political views in opposition to you know other countries whatever right mm-hmm. so I was like well I, I I don't feel like I need to worry about like other countries hacking me but I think one of the consequences of uh, Donald Trump being elected means that there will be more threats on the internet uh, no. and people feeling more emboldened um, to do stuff. So I said, okay, so what are some of the things I can do beyond what I've been doing already? So there ended up being a trio, uh, qu- sorry, a quartet of tools that I installed. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk about some other stuff that I did. Yeah. yeah so the first tools. one is, is the first one is, okay, one important thing to have control of on your laptop is network connections. You only want things that you know and expect uh, talking via your computer elsewhere. So mm-hmm. on your Mac, there's a great utility called Little Snitch. And it listens, you install it, it listens to every single connection that your laptop tries to make. And yep. it asks you, are you cool with this? 
And uh, there are multiple settings that you can do. You can say, I'm cool with this happening forever. I'm cool with this happening as long I'm, I'm cool with this happening just today. I'm cool with this happening until the next time I restart my laptop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so again, one of the downsides of this tool is that when you install it, there is a motherfucking ridiculous number of dialogue windows that come up. They have to go accept, accept, yes, yes, forever. Right. No. And yeah. you can and you can deny connections too. You can tell it deny it for now, deny it forever. So what it made what I did is that. I took it seriously. I'm like, every single time Little Snitch said, this program is trying to connect to this thing. I looked at it and said, yes, I'm cool with that happening. Or I went very binary. I'm like, I'm cool with that always happening. Or I'm going to not allow that to happen at all. And if I saw something that I did not recognize, I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to let that talk. I'm going to deny its connection. So Little Snitch. And again, I'll put notes in here. So that was first. So Little Snitch watches all your... Um, all your your connections. Now, there's another one called Little. Uh, there's a one another app called Little Flocker, and what it does, it does what little it does what Little Snitch does, but for files. It monitors directories on your laptop. Sure. And mm-hmm. it it says, hey, this program is trying to write to this location. Are you okay with that? And again, you do the same thing: accept, deny, accept, deny. Right? Same sort yep. of thing. Right. Then there was another one called Microsnitch that may be of interest to people. This one lets you know when microphones and webcams on your system are being used, have been turned on and activated. Because, you know, people talk about one of the avenues to get malware systems, get installed on people's computers and turns on the microphone without you knowing. Well, Well, this thing is watching all that and says, I know when I fired up Skype, it said, hey, Skype wants to use your camera and your microphone. Are you cool with that? I'm like, as long as Skype is running, I'm okay with that. Right. Um, So, and then there was another one that I did, a final one called, uh, oh, yes, called uh, called Block Block. Um, Yeah. And let me go read that one because I just installed that one and that was really, really quick. Uh, Yes. So what Block Block does... Mm-hmm. Is oh yes, Block Block looks for um, other programs trying to install things on your computer. So it looks for malware being installed. So Block Block's job is to please alert me anytime anything is persistently installed. So I have noticed a few things on my computer continually mm-hmm. tried to install something, really? and I'm like Block. It's trying to do it again. Block. So mm-hmm. so those four tools. Uh, are easy enough for uh, people who may not be comfortable with command line stuff installed. Yeah, so right. in summary, for those listening, to really tighten up the security on your own personal computer, mm-hmm. little snitch to look for network connections that you don't want being made. You can even stop your laptop from reporting shit back to Apple. I turn off Crash Reporter. I'm like, you don't need to know what programs crash on my laptop. Thanks very much. Right. Yeah. So little snitch for network connections. Little flocker. To look for file rights. Um, uh, micro snitch to tell you that someone something is trying to use your camera and your microphone. And block block to stop uh, malware from being installed. Yeah. So I think those four things, I think if you put those on your computer and you go through the day or two days of pain that I went through of having to approve all sorts of activities and looking at every each and every one and saying, yes, I'm okay with that one. 
that is a level of security that puts you at like better than like 99.999% of people who are using their laptops. And you will right. be, you'll be kind of secure from like the drive-by hacking attempts and script kitties doing stuff. So the next level that I went on to after using the, uh, got that wonderful document and I will track it down. And again, we'll have it in the notes was some things at the system level. So the big ones were encrypting my DNS um, call so people so my ISP can't snoop on me on what I'm looking up um, to like inject third party ads and wonderful things like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Using DNS mask and DNS cache, you can encrypt all that DNS stuff. And it was again, it was very easy to set up. The directions told you install these programs. Here's the configuration files. Here's what you change. Here's how it works. So I did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did that with the DNS stuff. The other thing that I did was I set things up so I'm using a thing called Privoxy as um, as an HTTP and HTTPS proxy. You can set up on a level that every single uh, connection, uh, outgoing one like that for HTTP and HTTPS, um, like for your browser, it all goes through there. You don't even have to, you, you can set up the system level to get your entire laptop to use it as a proxy Ooh. for HTTP uh-huh. traffic. So you don't have to let you don't have to go into your browser and fill it around with proxy settings. The reason to use that one is that it gets rid of all those uh, uh, default out of the box. It will it gives you blocking of those little web tracking bugs. You know the little yeah. one pixel bugs that people used to put in, and still try to put on websites. It automatically strips those out um, for you, and it has yeah. a really has a really interesting DSL that you can use to. Um, Defined sets of rules. For example, if you're not already using a plugin to like force, like I use one in Firefox uh, to force all my connections to be HTTPS when possible, uh, yeah. you could do the same thing. You could tell uh, you could tell um, Privoxy via a configuration, uh, like a command, you know, a, a setting in a file. Um, for all these sites, automatically redirect me to the HTTPS version. I did it with Imager, like in some image things. Always give me the secure version of the image instead of the raw one. Right. So, uh, and again, with Provoxy and so I've noticed no slowdown at all in my um, web surfing. So, so uh, now, are you going to join the Mister Robot team now, or what's no, the deal? No, no, of course not. I just, I just, what I want is like if uh, I look at it this way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone's going to try to hack into my computer and steal shit, I want them at least to have to work a little bit um, to do it. You know, I don't want them just to be able to, like, you know, remove one screw and the door falls off. It's like, yeah, you want my stuff. Maybe eventually you'll get it, but you're going to have to work really hard um, to right. get it. And I would rather make people work to steal my shit than just basically leave things by default. Um, the other thing, of course, I recommend to Mac users is turn on file vault so your entire laptop is encrypted so if somebody does manage to steal your laptop if they don't know your password um, they will have an extremely hard time uh, looking at any of the contents of your uh, computer can you boot it into single user mode though do you, do you still does that do you know if single user mode in like it decrypts the file vault stuff I have no idea I don't know uh, well, it just the concern would be that if you can boot it into single user mode, basically if you have physical access to the machine and the single user mode does decrypt it automatically, then you would have immediate access to that. That would I, seem I like a huge problem. With, I don't with think – well, uh, 
Like what, single user mode is like what, like a safe mode type thing? Yeah, you can do it on most Unices that, and and I know I have used it to like do stuff like reset <laughs> uh, user passwords. Like if you don't know, you can't remember the password for somebody. Yeah, I've done it on OSX in the past, but it's been years where you can boot it into a single user mode where basically there's no authentication. You just boot in as root. Yeah, I don't. And, I I have no idea. All I know is like. File Vault was one of the things that uh, yeah. Mozilla told me uh, yeah. 100% you need to have that turned on if you're going yeah. to. Because Mozilla is like, they don't care that I use my own personal equipment. They're just like, there's a few security things we need you to do. You do those and everything's cool. So, because right. I that haven't worked, I haven't worked at Mozilla long enough to make it through uh, a hardware refresh cycle, as they call them, where you get upgraded equipment. So if I want new stuff, I have to, uh, at this point, I would have to get it for myself. I mean, I still have the laptop. I can see it right now. The one that Mozilla gave me in November of twenty of November of 2015, it's still sitting in the box and hasn't been opened because I, I use my own laptop. But I don't know about single user mode. Uh, I would assume... Man, you, you're going to get fucked. No, I, not I, not would, I would assume that with File Vault turned on, the whole purpose would be that you could not do that sort of thing. You can, yeah, you can, you cannot I should look get that up. As, we, we can look it up and follow up on it later. But it sure seemed to me that the whole that there. Well, why that would, would you, defeat why, the whole. Purpose. That would defeat the whole yeah. purpose of you being able to encrypt your hard drive if you could just boot it into single user mode and read everything. Yeah, uh, I'm, you know, I'm taking uh, a look. So, so who knows? But so yeah, so I decided just you know just to, to take the configuration of the laptop a little bit more seriously. Um, create you know, make it a little bit more secure. Follow some advice of actual infosec uh, practitioners instead of random people on Twitter. And uh, and you know, now that I have it all set up, uh, it gives me a a little bit more confidence. And like I said, it means like, can I stop a determined person with you know, elite hacks or skills from getting in? Probably not. If they work at it hard enough, they'll they'll find an exploit in some system that I use, and they'll get access or whatever. But at least at least this way, yeah, you had to work for it. I'd, right. Otherwise, because if you're not gonna like really, my personal opinion, if you're not gonna go all the way and really work hard to secure your laptop, you might as well do nothing and just let anybody that comes along that uh, can can read a web page on how to hack somebody's Mac. Laptop can just come and do it. I also saw the person did an interesting. Also had a link in there to an interesting utility that you can install. Where um, if the lap uh, that uh, you authorize USB devices, mm-hmm. and if someone sticks an unauthorized USB device into one of the ports, the laptop yeah. just shuts itself down. It's like nope. Which would idea. which would stop that thing where people are like you know using USB. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, boot, uh, you know, operating systems on the stick or to suck stuff out of the hard drive and stuff via something installed on a USB key. It's like, yeah, you can have it if if someone install if someone plugs a USB key in and you haven't authorized it, um, it's like, yeah, no, uh, no, you, you can't get anything. So it's to stop that whole thing where someone like steals your computer from you and then, you know, uh, inserts a USB key to install something and suck a whole bunch of stuff out. So, Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, most of the stuff that most of the attacks aren't some sort of super dude elite hacksaw that figures out a, you know, some kind of custom exploit for your system. It's, yep. They 
tricky into doing something. That's yeah, a thousand it's, times it's, easier. Yeah, than it's, doing anything it's else. usually it's usually social engineering is the best way to do it. Right, you call right. you call a person up and say, "Hey, I'm from Password Security. I need to know what your password is. We're we're evaluating oh, your passwords. Yeah. Can you please send it to me? Oh yeah, I'll help you right away, Chris. And then right, boom, right. you have a username and password. By the way, uh, if you do have a file vault encrypted system, yes, it asks you to log. If even you know, you, you boot into single user mode, which is just holding down Command S, um, right. it will prompt you to pick an account and and authenticate with that account because it has to be an account that can unlock the disk. So right. be, so you have to basically log in as somebody even though you're in single user mode to unlock the disk and otherwise it will not let you boot into single user mode. Uh, if you if you have file vault turned on. Otherwise if you don't any physical access Anybody can do anything with your computer. It doesn't matter because they can just go into single user mode, uh, change your password, do anything, get, you know, run as root, do anything they want. It doesn't matter. Right. So, yeah, uh, I, that, all this stuff is really good. I, uh, I honestly, I've been behind on that stuff. Um, I uh, am looking again at a, at a service I used before, but I kind of kind of got out of it called Prey, P-R-E-Y. Yep. Yep. I've heard of them. Yep. And that's sort of a thing for like you can it it's it's an app that installs on your computer. Um, I like I have it installed on OS X now, and I I just recently reinstalled it. Like actually, the past like ten minutes while you were talking, <laughs> and I installed it on my newest computer, uh, the computer I'm using day to day right now. And it essentially it 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 runs silently. Like there isn't an, an app you can run. Like that you see like, oh, I'll bring it up in, you know, applications or whatever. It doesn't show up. But what it does is it basically runs like a, a relatively silent daemon that uh, reports back to the service called Prey, P-R-E-Y, and says, hey, I'm here and this is my location and stuff. And then you can set it to missing. You can set the status of, hey, my thing's missing. And it will attempt to... Um, like you can tell it to lock the screen and wipe the system if you pay them a little bit of money. Not not like hostage, but if you pay for the service. If you don't pay for the service, it just you can lock it and it will it'll just keep reporting, you know, where it is and stuff. So and it keeps trying to email. So they also have it for iOS and Android. That I'm less excited about because you can seems like you can do similar things with like find my mac or find my phone i got you know you can do that kind of stuff like i can do a remote wipe on my phone but i don't think i can do something like that with my with uh, my osx machine so that's why i was interested in that and i think that's uh that's something that's kind of helpful i've been worried about that so um i've been worried about those times where it's like well what happens if i lose this and suddenly uh you know all the keys to the uh very very tiny kingdom of work and OSMI go away. Uh, you know, what do I do? So, oh, yeah. Also, as a follow up to this, too, uh, for those wondering about some other things you can do, for God's sake, start using a password manager. Oh, oh, yes. One pass. I use one password, or you could use LastPass. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a LastPass user, one password. There's one I saw called uh, Dashlane. I mean, there's a, a lot of them, but for God's sakes, use one. Um, hey, li- listen to the song, yeah. Life in the Dashlane. Um, 
But you and I should talk about the Eagles sometime. I saw a documentary. It was very, very interesting. Anyway. Oh, I heard um, that's a, a, a uh, shit show. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. We can talk about it. It was really good. Um, but, yeah, so use a password manager. Um, and there was another one I was going to say people should use. No, it's escaped my mind. No, I'm sorry. I probably yeah. interrupted. No, no, no. But password manager for sure is like – because just and have a strong ma- have, a, just have a strong master password and that way you literally cannot remember passwords you don't have to they're all in the password manager yeah just auto generate passwords and the the problem is you do have to kind of train yourself to do it it's easier for i think it's easier for people who use computers all the time it is a little bit hard to get i have found or family members to use password managers yep. um that is a, of course a a huge screaming match waiting to happen at any given time. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's like, oh, no, no, don't type in your same, same password. You know, yep. don't use – Jesus Christ, please stop using the same four passwords for everything. Yep. This is exactly why you're not supposed to do that. But, you know, whatever. It's just my life is a lie. It's, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's what happens. But, um yeah, yeah that's really cool. Yeah, there was going to be another one. I was trying to – because I was like, oh, you wanted them to use a password manager and, and – I'm like, no, I can't remember what the other one is. But but for sure – I mean it might come up. But for sure, password manager. It's like the yeah. idea is – I think a uh, message to give to people is like you you need to start having a, a slightly heightened level of awareness about um, how you use your computer and get out of the habit of just like – okay like clicking okay like read those dialogues don't like read those things read the messages your computer sends to you because i mean i don't know how it is for windows folks i know malware and stuff and viruses are much more prevalent for uh windows users than mac users to be clear there are malware and other things that mac users have to worry about yeah definitely but people need to like just a little bit bit higher level awareness stop clicking on on emails instinctively and pay attention to the messages your computer gives you keep your tools up to date make sure your antivirus always get the latest stable always make sure your computer is running the latest stable version of your operating system i know many of my friends fellow programmers who seem to resist upgrading their computer it's like well you know it's the same thing that leads to like php not being upgraded and all of a sudden you have a version of the programming language that is no longer supported doesn't have no, no more security patches being applied to it's like I, I i get it but i think you're it's a little misguided you always want the latest stable versions of things I, i'm the same with the tools with programming languages all that stuff i always want to be using the latest stable version not cutting edge because i don't enjoy having my systems break so easily but yeah but uh latest stable version so i put a note i have i wrote down there'll be there'll be some notes uh you know links in the show notes i added a little snitch little flocker micro snitch block block and i found the the mac os uh, security and privacy guide that i used i talked about how to set up those things like the uh encrypting uh dns so people can't inject shit in and and stuff like that Um, right yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. I, I think that, and that stuff is really important. And if you're concerned about that stuff, and I think you should be, I think you have to be actively aware. I, it's tough with stuff like this. It also reminds me, you know, we talk about how other people are using. It. I was thinking about, well, you know, dialogues that pop up and stuff. I just, it is hard for me to make the case that PCs, and when I say PCs, I mean personal computers, not Windows PCs. That most people should be using PCs. 
I just don't think they should because I yeah. think they're too complex. And I think that the reason why people just bypass that stuff is because they get so much stuff thrown at them that they don't understand that they get blindness to it. And you're just like, oh, look, I don't, I, n- I never know what these things mean. I just hit yes or I just hit okay. And I never know what these things mean. And I don't know. Like my dad was, I'm, you know, he, he's an older guy and he, he does okay, but that's not, it's, there's nothing wrong with being an older guy. It's just, he's not necessarily the most savvy dude in the world, but he's got a Mac and I'm just like, you know, questions he's asking me and he's like, I was going to call cause I can't figure out this email and it went got, and it's like it, his email like wasn't getting saved. It was just getting trashed somehow. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know. Maybe he drug it somehow. So like his, so his save folder wasn't actually mapped. I mean, how am I supposed to explain to him how IMAP works? Yeah. Like, and like, and like, how am I, he, what he's saying, he's telling me, I'm like, I, that doesn't sound right, but I don't even know where to start. That could be a hundred different things. So I'm like, maybe you should get like a tablet, dude. You know, I'm yeah. like, maybe you should get an iPad with a keyboard and then you could just have that. And it's just, there's less sh- shit that can go wrong oh, you agreed, know i agree i had this discussion yeah, I I did, I had, no, no that's a good point i mean like i look at my wife right my wife god bless her right long time computer user yeah. actually hate actually hates computers so yeah. which is ironic given what her husband does for a living so <laughs> yeah, so right. there was a time when she said i wanted a laptop and i'm like i don't think you really want a laptop I, right. I think what you re- I said, I, well, no, actually, the the thing was, well, I don't think you need a laptop. I think what you need is an iPad. I'm like, based on watching your watching how you use your laptop for all the things that you use your laptop for, you could use an iPad. No, no, I have to have a laptop. I'm like, like, well, to do what? Like, well, to do email. I'm like, you can do email on iPad. You've watched me do email yeah. on the iPad. Not that hard. Well, I want to do this. I want to. I, I want to. You know, I want to buy things online. You can do that just as well yeah. via the laptop, uh, via via the tablet using the web browser. So we bought her laptop because her thing was always well. Her, her concern was because uh, you know she doesn't. I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. Okay. Yeah. Because I've talked about this before. You are screwed. I got to tell I, you. Right I, now. I have built up lots and lots of connections job wise. So, on those rare occasions where I find myself involuntarily unemployed, it yeah. does not it does not take me a long time to find another job. I am extremely fortunate that I don't have to go through the process of writing up the resume and sending copies to people and going to interviews. It just it's just something I've been extremely fortunate to have been able to avoid for a very long time through all the tireless work I do of networking with people online, right? right. It, it does work. That's why I do all this stuff, to make those connections so that when when the time comes where I absolutely need something, I know exactly who to talk to to help me out, right? Mm-hmm. So my wife, unfortunately, is not like that. And uh, she, does not, uh, she does not approach job searching with the same zest and confidence that I do. So she was always like, well, I'm going to need, well, what if I, what if I need to find a job? I need, I need Microsoft Word to do a resume and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, if it came down to that, we could just sit down together and do it all on my laptop because that's basically what's happened every single time when she's gone to look for a job. Yeah. I have sat with her except on her laptop and let's do up your resume and email it to people. So, right. Let's fast forward a little bit. She's now on laptop number two, but mm-hmm. her her previous employer gave her uh, iPad Mini 
as yeah. a bonus, right? A refurbed one as a bonus. After using the iPad mini for quite a while, she reluctantly agreed with me that everything I need to do, I can do on the iPad. Right. I was like, see? And isn't this so much easier that you don't have to worry about all this? So I agree with you, Ed, for a very large, very large segment of the population now, a tablet or a phone is all they actually need in order, like what they need to do online. Now, again, there may be the odd odd tasks that they will need to do, but you could even look at it in terms of like, thanks to things like LinkedIn, and which of course is its own shit show, but as people yeah. create tools to allow job searching to happen all online, you know, LinkedIn is essentially a resume for you. So you don't actually have to create your own resume anymore. You can go online no. and use something like LinkedIn, just enter all that stuff in there, and your resume is done for you. You don't need another device just right. to handle those rare occasions when you need to need to now for some people I think especially for uh, people uh, who are in school whether they're teenagers or even people my you know kids my youngest age or adults who are doing stuff at university not quite there yet still you still need a laptop because you yeah. still need to do a lot of typing and I don't think touch screen typing that you get on a phone or a, or an iPad is there yet to get the speed and accuracy that you need to crank out a paper for school or a research project or to do research and search and type uh, search terms into a browser and do stuff like that. I think laptops are still there. So I, I don't think, I don't think uh, like mechanical keyboards are going uh, away um, anytime soon when a human needs to interact with a computer. So, but also yeah. you a human. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, I do use my phone quite a bit, but like, I don't think I could do. There's no way I could do what I do right now on a phone. Just couldn't do it. I need to create no, custom. No, no. I need to create customized tools to do my job. So I still need a laptop. At, I mean, there's always people who seem to think that uh, Apple's ultimate goal is a laptop that's just an iOS device. And I'm like, for most people doing my type of work, that won't do. It just won't. No. Um, people will need the ability to install. Uh, they, they they won't be able just to have Apple as the gatekeeper deciding what what can and can't be installed in terms of tools to just to do your job. So, like the idea of like Apple would never let you run a virtual machine on a phone. Just I can't see them ever agreeing to let you do that. So that's well, out the no, window for they're most different of devices. I mean, yep. what I could what I could see is that they would make an iOS laptop or an iOS device that is designed for these kinds of things. But, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe. They, at that point, they also have to figure out how people develop iOS apps because right now you need OS X to do that. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you can't make iOS apps on iOS. So, I mean, you got to run the dev tools on something. So I would imagine there will be, will be some combination of you'd run the same OS on both. Um it's just right now, which probably is not really the situation they want to be in. They have two operating systems that are kind of similar but aren't the same. So, you know. So with that long rambling thing, that's I think that's pretty much it, my friend. Yeah, no, that's it. I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad I could, could get an extended period of time to talk about my experiences with the laptop because again, it's yeah. you know, you know, new laptop, pretty much same as the laptop. The interesting thing I do also have noticed that in all the time I've been using it, I yeah. still have not heard the fan spin up to do anything yet. Is that right? And this is again just doing my normal use case uh, where you know. 
Firefox open, multiple tabs open, terminal. I've been using Hyper, um, mm-hmm. you know, the JavaScript mm-hmm. one, the the electron-based terminal. Been very happy with that. So yeah. terminal windows open, Docker running on here, plus all the other things I have running. So uh, little snitch and little flocker and all that stuff running and compiling things and doing little video. Flocker. Co- yeah, little flocker. Little flocker. Doing and doing uh, – Video conferencing, because I do a lot of that at work with this program called Video, V-I-D-Y-O. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's – you need a license for it and stuff. So I, I don't know if anyone outside of Mozilla really uses it, to be honest. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, with all that stuff running, laptops not even warm. And uh, and the fan – has I have not heard the fan spin up for anything. So, so that's a good sign. It means that maybe right now for what I'm doing – this MacBook um, hits the sweet spot in terms of like processing power and available memory, and that the that the laptop doesn't uh, strain itself and have to fire up the fans to make anything happen. Right, and you know it was only had to be you know like three thousand dollars. Yep, and of course I got the Apple Care, so because uh, my experiences with Apple Care have been very good, so for me it was worth it. Right on. Yeah, I could dig it, and I would probably get Apple Care too. Um, if people are interested, I think, you know, a couple other, if they do want to give windows a try, they might also look at the Dell XPS 13s, which I guess are supposed to be pretty nice. Yeah. The XPS 13s and, and XPS, they're a little and, cheaper. Yeah. And, XPS, and XPS 15s. So they're very, very similar. Um, they're a little bit cheaper, but if you're looking kind of for that, like, uh, I guess the category is Ultrabook. Um, I also mm-hmm. highly recommend people go to, uh, the wire cutter which is a favorite tech review site of mine Yeah, definitely. where they do independent. They're kind of like uh, consumer reports for the 21st century is how I like to call them. Um, they bring in actual subject experts yeah. to, do, to do reviews of things because all the reviews are the same. Here's the category. Here's our recommendation. Here's why you should listen to me. Now let's get into why we picked this one. So they'll have computer experts, audio experts, just for whatever it is. They bring in people who actually know what they're talking about and go through the reviews. So we'll provide mm-hmm. a link to the wire cutter. If you are in the market for a new laptop, go to the wire cutter, read their reviews for laptops. They have one up for the newest generation of Apple ones. Their recommendation was to get the exact model that I have. So yeah. Um, they yeah, it was the 13 inch the new one but they said even they were like this is that that apple definitely it, it, they made it a little harder yes um, and they actually i think recommended because their setup's a little different they assume you're actually using it as a laptop all the time which is a little different than what you're yeah what they said they actually recommend the one without a touch bar they yes. recommend the cheaper one that yes. does that does not have the touch bar and it's like 300 dollars less yep so uh, and actually has ha- it only has two ports on two USB C ports instead of four. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a uh, yeah. That but they, but like I said, they did the review. They said the one that I got is fine. They recommend the other one because again, I bet battery life is a little bit better without the without the well, touch without the touch yeah. thing on it and stuff. So well, they um, said if you needed more power, that yeah. was the way to go. And it, yeah. it, it, but and which I think you do. But, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, one of these days, you know, maybe it depends on like the the only like many large corporations. The only way Apple will change is if the you know a product that they release is a disaster and that the demand for it goes is way way under what they anticipated. That they will act um, because it'll cut into their profits. So yeah, um, I mean, but, ultimately, it's how many they sell. Yep, and the people who buy their laptops. Aren't necess- are probably not developers. 
Like yes. of the percentage of people who are buying their laptops, it is a has to be a tiny single digit number of people who are like us. It has to be like, I don't know, five percent. Yep. No, less I, than five percent. Yeah, so probably, so yep. is that gonna be significant to them? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, especially when you know, eighty percent of their market is already in other stuff that's not com- personal computers. So I don't, you know, what are you gonna do? Anyway, I think that's a good uh, uh, a good place to leave it. Uh, personal computers uh, dead, ever dead to all of us. We're dead. <laughs> We're left in the dust. And, yeah, uh, not nothing. yeah, not dead. Just like it's it's changing. Like everything, technology keeps moving forward. I think definitely. I mean, there are there are, and this is not a lie. There are billions of people on this planet whose only way that they interact with the with the internet online is with a phone. So clearly, yes. at this point, phones are suitable devices and smartphones an smart- android phone <laughs> well i don't care you can use whatever you want um smartphones have are now to the point where they are a 100% useful device for people's online lives and people like us who use a laptop for work are we are our numbers in terms of percentage of people of what they're paying attention to keeps getting smaller and smaller. And it's, at a some speci- point, it's a specialized yeah. market yeah. the same way that like it just happened to be we were using the same tool, the same hardware yeah. to do certain things. But it's going to get to be a point where it's like us, the what we do is going to be as specialized as people who do um, you know, like like video compositing or 3D modeling. Yeah, like, event, yep. they have you're, very you're right. special needs, and it's different. It's very different than your average computer user. Yep, you know, they just don't need that anymore. So there's no point. Yep. Yes, um, sir. So it's going to suck because it means that we have to buy more specialized hardware. But you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, fun times, and I think I we could thank our sponsors. Sponsors yeah. of your, yes, your, uh, here I'll do it this yeah. time because we're going to get mm-hmm. out of here because it's getting high. Yeah. So thanks as always too. to Paul Reinheimer, his lovely darling wife Allison, and I know she's going to she's set to pop and give birth to their little panda um, any minute now, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, so that is awesome. Looking forward that, to hearing that. Will more. be the first one I think in uh, born in Waterloo in captivity. Probably yes, first panda yes. born in captivity. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. one day we'll. If you meet us, we'll explain to you uh, what how the panda thing came up because Paul explained it, and we're like, thank God for Canadian healthcare rolling my eyes if I killed myself. So uh, yeah, so congratulations to Paul and his lovely wife Allison uh, on the uh, pending arrival of their first child together. Uh, so Wonder Network. They have a. If you need to know, if you need a machine located somewhere in like a bazillion countries, uh, and they've ignored Antarctica because, as Ed pointed out, it's going to melt anyway. Uh, But Wonder Wonder Network offers a whole wide variety of services. Uh, You should take a look at their stuff. Site Sherpa, uh, Wonder um, Wonder Proxy for VPN services. I highly recommend using them if you're looking for a VPN while traveling to give you privacy, so people aren't snooping at what you do. Check out their stuff. Uh, All of Ed's efforts over at osmi-help.org. Not Buys, dash. There's no dash. No, it's all Osme help. All right, cool. Osme help. O s m i help. Dot org. Dot co. Dot uk. Um, go check yes. out the site. Um, buy some swag. Spread the news. Uh, mental health is super important. People have ignored it for way too long. It's time to start actually. Want full? St- I saw someone talk about this on Twitter that they're going to be doing a talk at Pi Tennessee about being. Uh, 
full stack taking care of yourself. So expanding oh, on on Ed's work in helping to promote mental health issues, expanding beyond that, how to take care of your mental health and your physical health at the right. same time. Just becoming a more well-rounded person. People in this industry, it's very easy for people in this industry to abuse themselves through working too much, through self-medicating, through alcohol, through drugs, uh, uh, pressure to perform. It, it all takes a toll on you, and at some point you have to make a decision. Either you're going to succumb to it or you want to get the help that you need. So Ed provides a lot of resources to help people who are having uh, issues with that stuff. And Grumpy Learning, my own stuff, my books, grumpy-learning.com. Uh, I retired two of my books because they need rewriting, and I don't like having old information out there. That may not be valuable to people anymore. Just my two books, Minimum Viable Tests, what I believe is the bare minimum that you need to know to get started with testing. The PHP Unit Cookbook, it's probably getting time for a brief update to that book, but if you want to know how to do specific things with PHP Unit, that's a thing I highly recommend. And also, as indicated on the site, um, I'm doing an online workshop January 20th. It's a Friday um, mm-hmm. from 10 Eastern till like 4 or 5 Eastern. Small class. I will be guiding everyone through learning the minimum level of skills that you need to get started with testing. We're going to do some online exercises. I'm going to show you how to do stuff. You're going to learn a whole bunch Come on, people. It's $199. You're going to more than make that money back the first time you your ass is saved by having a test suite that catches uh, catches a mistake where you made something somewhere and you inadvertently broke something. Your test will tell you and you'll be like, why did I ever doubt Chris? Why did you ever doubt Chris? So with that, this has been episode 86 of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, you can find every single episode we've ever done up at devhell.info. What happens is that we record, then Ed stitches it together and filters out all the stupid background noise at my place. I come up with a snappy title. Ed finds a graphic. I do up the show notes. It gets published. Everything we've ever done is up there. Uh, go check it out everything. if you if you everything we ever done with the podcast is up there. Go check it out so you can find old episodes and and sometimes even I forget who we've spoken to. I a few times I said Ed, hey, we should have so and so on the show, and it's like you dumbass. We we had this person on back in episode Dumb whatever. Idiot. Yeah, we had this person back on in episode whatever. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. So we right. never have to talk to them again. That's good. Uh, you can also listen to us via um, iTunes. If you do listen to us there, please rate the podcast. Let us know that we're still your favorite because we want to be voted favorite in 2017 after our our crushing victory over all the other PHP poser podcasts in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as grumpy program without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you all soon. Good night.